When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's mini-episode, we continue our rewatch of The Leftovers as we dig into episode four of the first season. But before we go any further, can you tell me which one is the smart one? I'm Justin Hamilton, and we're finding our way forward on Big Squid. Welcome back to the podcast where today we're looking at episode four of The Leftovers called BJ and the AC. It's a title that even I'm not entirely convinced I know what it stands for, but we'll discuss that a little bit later. Just a quick reminder for anyone in Wodonga and Canberra, I'm hosting the Sydney Comedy Festival Showcase with a bunch of fun comedians. It will give you an idea of the breadth of talent that we have in this country. I've looked at the lineup. There's some great names, some old friends of mine as well, actually. Cam Knight's going to be a part of it, John Cruikshank. Uh, some new kind of friends like Floyd Alexander Hunt. Chris Ryan is going to be appearing in Canberra along with Amanda Gray. So there's some really good names there. It's going to be a fun show. We're in Wodonga on the 11th and Canberra on the 12th. So if you're in town and would like to come along, check the Sydney Comedy Festival website for more details. And let me know if you're coming along, because it's always a real treat to meet people who listen to the podcast, especially in places where I don't have the opportunity to tour as often as I would like. Okay, time to put on our detective hats as we go searching for the missing baby Jesus. The holidays... People want to relax. Give us a little break. We are going to be in the parking lot. And if the GR sets foot on school property, we can arrest them for criminal trespass. Why are you in my dream? Don't tell them anything. Which one is the smart one? You want this over? Then say it! We're going to need some gasoline. Hello? Wayne? 
This episode opens with the music of the Black Keys, in particular their song I'm Not The One, as we watch the assembly line for plastic baby dolls as they produce one fake baby after another. In fact, we follow one of those babies as it goes on its journey from being moulded to put together to having the eyes popped into place. This opening is up there with some of the beginnings to TV series like Breaking Bad. You know how Breaking Bad was really good at just giving you an opening that felt a little bit incongruous and then you'd realise it had some sort of deeper meaning the further that you went along. And We've got that exactly here. It's this seemingly random image that ends up saying so much more than we expect. This doll becomes the baby Jesus for Mapleton's nativity scene, and we see it over time fulfil its job until one day it disappears and there's no trace left behind. Kevin is having a hard day as he asks Paddy from the Guilty Remnant to stop with the passive-aggressive hovering that they've become so well known for. Christmas time is a tricky time for a lot of families, and Kevin just wants them to take one night off, the night of the Spring Library benefit, to just give these families a break. But Paddy writes to Kevin that there is no family, and leaves Kevin frustrated and impotent about what may come next. With the baby doll disappearing and the mayor wanting Kevin to find it as a public relations win, he immediately deduces that his daughter Jill had something to do with it. He can't reach Jill, though, so he pulls over everyone's favourite twins. (laughs) Maybe my favourite twins. I love these guys. Which one is the smart one? (laughs) Such a funny moment. Kevin pulls him over and tells him that if they return it, he won't ask questions. He just wants it back. He just needs it back. He just needs it out the way. Kevin has bigger things on his mind, and this is a distraction at best. Meanwhile, Tommy and Christine wait for Holy Wayne to call. They're attacked by a man, sans pants. No pants. Welcome to HBO. Mr. Floppy Wang flying all over the place. This man screams at Christine and tries to attack her, and he's telling her that she will walk over the dead and they'll all be dressed in white. Tommy wrestles with the naked man, yuck. But these rantings are dismissed as this guy is obviously just a little bit crazy and Tommy takes Christine to a hospital to have her baby checked on. The nurse suspects something isn't right with Tommy, but she suspects the wrong thing. She thinks that she sees bruises on Christine, she sees bruises on Tommy's knuckle, she thinks maybe he's the cause for this, which he isn't. We know that he got those bruises on the knuckle from fighting old... Wangman, you know? So she calls the security to come and take Tommy away. And so Tommy has to run and he manages to escape the hospital for safety. Suddenly it feels like Tommy is out and he's just done with Wayne and he's approached by two different cults. We see the guilty remnant and looking at the bandage on the guilty remnant's head, it looks like they don't do too well in Texas either. And he's also comes across the barefoot people who paint a bullseye on their forehead to let God know or let the creator know that when he returns, they're one of his people. You know, take, take them next time. But these two different cults, they just don't mean anything to Tommy and he starts to question what he's doing. And it feels like maybe he's going to leave Christine behind. But... Just as he's about to give up hope, his phone rings, and it's just a robocall, but Tommy sees this as a sign from Holy Wayne that this is what he needed to hear. This is Holy Wayne in some way still looking out for him. 
He goes back to the hospital for Christine with a painted bullseye on his head, so he looks like one of the barefoot people. The bullseye, as we know, is there for the believers who think the creator will recognise them when the creator returns. But for Tommy, this is an opportunity to distract who he is and hide in plain sight. Oh, the irony. He finds Christine and they continue their journey. Later, they catch a bus out of town and when it comes to a sudden halt, they look out onto the road and there appears to be all these dead bodies. These aren't dead bodies, though. They're mannequins. And they're the mannequins that we saw advertised on TV a couple of episodes back for loved ones. These mannequins are made to resemble those who departed. And what it does is it allows people to close the loop on their grief by having something that they can bury. These mannequins end up becoming a symbol for the people that they lost. Christine is fascinated by this because, essentially, this is what the crazy pantless man predicted would happen. Not exactly how he predicted it, but kind of. Back in Mapleton, Jill and her friends play with the baby Jesus doll that they stole, but Jill can't follow through with setting it on fire. It was her decision. It was her idea to give it a Viking funeral. But when it comes to the moment, she backs down. And when Jill returns to her house to find her mother giving Kevin divorce papers, all she can do is hand over the Christmas present that she had for Laurie and return to the sanctuary of her room. Of course, handing over the divorce papers doesn't go well, and Laurie is with Meg, who's a bit fascinated to watch this all play out, because she's following Laurie everywhere, and she's learning how to be a part of the guilty remnant, but she doesn't really know anything about Laurie. Outside, Laurie opens the present and sees the lighter that her daughter got her for a Christmas present, but she discards it, because she's a part of the guilty remnant. You're not allowed to have any keepsakes. The next day, the twins return to the Garvey house and drive off before Kevin can talk to them. But what they've done is they've returned the baby Jesus. And when Kevin looks up at Jill and says, I found him. And you've got to keep this line and this setting in mind for when we reach the finale of season one. That might just seem like a throwaway scene, but just keep it in the back of your head. Like we kept the loved ones advert in the back of their head from a previous couple of episodes. Regardless of his interest in the doll, or lack of interest, I should say, this is at least a small win for Kevin. That night, Kevin meets Nora at the school. Oh, such a great scene. They talk and immediately connect. She's playful, funny, quick-witted. She's also vulnerable, but she's not weak. Kevin is uncertain of how to talk to her, but they open up to each other immediately. Nora tells Kevin that her husband was cheating on her, And Kevin admits that he was cheating on Laurie. So now we kind of know part of what plays in the back of Kevin's head, what might be a part of his motivation. This is an important scene because the relationship between Kevin and Nora, it's built on honesty. And sometimes that honesty can be tender and sometimes it can be brutal and sometimes it can be both of those things at the same time. But this is an important moment and you can understand this weird sort of attraction at this point. It's not necessarily anything other than Uh, charisma, I think, that kind of oozes out of each of them. So in this moment, when we see them talk and the way they are around each other, we know that they'll be back in each other's orbit soon. When the guilty remnant turn up that night and stand impassively in the dark, passing their 
awful judgments, Kevin snaps. He's emotional. He makes bad decisions because of his impetuosity, and he just arrests them. And it's funny because he arrests them while still holding the fake plastic baby Jesus. He does suspect something is going on, though, and we see that the rest of the guilty remnant are breaking into people's homes and stealing photos that show family members who departed. We'll learn more about their plans very soon. That night, Laurie attempts to retrieve the lighter that her daughter gave her, and it means so much for her to try and get that lighter back. But juxtaposed alongside that is Kevin discarding the fake baby Jesus on the side of the road. After all that anguish, the doll had been replaced. And in the end, this thorn in his side meant nothing but a distraction from the darkness bubbling under the town that he has sworn to protect. So the building of the fake baby is a haunting opening image and says a lot about this episode, where objects take on emotional significance that only exists because the characters project their fears and desires and anxiety through them. And the baby is just mass-manufactured toy that in reality is a lump of moulded plastic. When Kevin is sent to buy a new one, he stands in a typical aisle and there are a bunch of these babies to choose from. Like, that's how easy it is to get one. That's how little they really mean. Kevin knows this fake baby means nothing, even though he's being forced to engage with the item on behalf of everyone else. In a world where people just disappeared, a missing fake baby Jesus suggests that there may be greater forces at work. Even if the mayor doesn't believe the baby going missing means anything holy or supernatural, she does believe in the 21st century power of media. And for her, the baby represents a possible win for Kevin, especially in the community. But this is a divided world. This is a world that is full of people dealing with their own existential crisis. So when Kevin is brought up on stage to declare that he's found the missing baby Jesus... Fuck, it's a funny scene, and it's really awkward, because nobody really cares. The mayor's belief was wrong, as are anyone who thinks that the baby disappearing could be supernatural. You know what it was? It's just a missing toy. For Jill, the baby also represents something. It's an opportunity to lash out, just like a teenager, and commit an innocuous crime for the sake of bucking a system she has little faith in. Yet when her father suggests they just go and buy a new baby doll, Jill is disgusted because she sees it as cheating, that the baby is sacred. Does Jill really mean this? Does she really see it as sacred? Or is Kevin's flippant comment about easily replacing the baby a projection of how she feels about her mother, who replaced her with the guilty remnant? Maybe Jill does think the representation of the baby is sacred because when she attempts to give the doll a Viking funeral, she can't follow through, even as her friends bounce up and down, having a good time, young people hiding from the mixed-up world in the dark of night while their parents struggle to make sense of a senseless world. That's what this is all about. It's about applying sense to a world that is full of chaos. Even when Kevin attempts to place the baby back in the scene of nativity, he finds the Reverend Matt replacing it with a creepy doll of his own. Like, it's it's even more realistic and somehow looks like it might come alive and murder everyone. It's an awful doll. But literally, 
none of this matters. As Kevin drives home, the baby stares back at him. It doesn't mean anything. It is only a doll. But it now represents something to Kevin, and that is a waste of his time. A time when he could have been thinking more about just what the guilty remnant are up to. And when Kevin throws the baby out of the window, it now lays on the side of the road waiting to be found and it will mean something new to someone else. But you do think about that, like it made him angry and it made him impetuous. And then when he dealt with the guilty remnant, he is actually incorrect. He has that awful cop attitude of it's our word against their word, which is an awful attitude and was also ironic because the guilty remnant don't speak. But maybe if he wasn't so angry and, and time-consumed with this dumb doll, maybe he would have looked at this moment and probably tackled it in a, a smarter way, a more judicious way. It wasn't just the baby that was representing something to our characters. For Tommy, the phone that Holy Wayne gave him ends up being a talisman to help him find his way forward with Christine, another lump of plastic They've been on the road for a long time now with no guidance and Tommy is struggling, especially with Christine being a little naive in her conduct. Just as Tommy is about to give up, though, when that phone finally rings with a robocall, he views that as a sign. The robocall is just a coincidence. Like, there's so many coincidences in this episode that people project meaning onto. And I guess that's something that we all do in the real world. But even in this episode when Kevin's car suddenly loses power. It's just one of those things. But we're programmed to see meaning in everything. And and while we watch, we can't help but wonder, wonder, what's it hinting at? What is, what is it all suggesting? Well, I guess Kevin did lose power in his car when he cursed God. And this is a world where 2% of the people just disappeared. But we don't know if it was God. We don't know if God exists in this world. Anyway... We are doing exactly what the characters in the TV show are doing. There are other parallels between Kevin and Tommy. Uh, We discover that Tommy isn't Kevin's biological son, but he's loved him like he was his own. Kevin reaches out to Tommy, but he still can't reach him because Tommy is too busy being a surrogate partner to Christine and her unborn baby. Like, he's taking on a responsibility as well. There are more inanimate objects that take on resonance for important characters. Nora finds herself drunk at her old high school, sitting alone next to her locker. That locker was just down from her husband, who not only disappeared, but was cheating on her while he was still in this world. So that locker, it's just a locker that's been used by so many students over the years. But for Nora, it reflects a time when the guy she loved was so close to her, but he hadn't quite noticed her yet. Like she mentions, it took a year before he noticed her. And in the end, did he slip into his old ways and forget to notice Nora again? The cheating allegation would probably suggest so. And Laurie comes to serve divorce papers and, you know... They're not just divorce papers, they also represent more. She has Meg do all the talking, but Kevin won't hear it from her. He wants the words to mean something, and he needs to hear them from Laurie. As Laurie passes the papers to Kevin, Jill gives her mother a present, a lighter with the words, Don't forget me, engraved on the side. Another object, another keepsake. Laurie discards the lighter in front of Meg. It's almost like a, a an act of defiance, and it's also telling Meg, look, this is what we do. We, we're not allowed to keep these things. We're not allowed to have any keepsakes. There are no keepsakes in our cult. 
But then later that night, Laurie sneaks off from the cult to attempt to retrieve the lighter, yet it is just out of reach and she's incapable of plucking it from the drain. But for us as the viewer, this is a moment of hope for us with Laurie because it doesn't matter that she can't retrieve the lighter. What's important is that she tried and that tells us something about what's going on deep inside of her. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget the photos being stolen. Burglary is always an ugly experience, and I'm sure in the modern world, all these families that had their photos stolen would be able to replace them easily. They'd they'd be able to download them again from social media sites, or they'd have them on their computers or in the cloud. But the photos in the frames mean something to each individual, and once they're gone, what will their absence do to the people of Mapleton? It is difficult to tell because this is a world where people are so desperate to say goodbye to loved ones that they can have mannequins made that resemble the departed to such a degree they can project their sorrow and grief onto this inanimate object and finally put them to rest. That is their intended goal. But just like the doll Kevin discards at the end of the episode, when you find these mannequins on the side of the road, they can mean something entirely different for whoever comes across them. And what does it mean that Kevin is now driving the dog shooter's truck? Nothing. Something. Everything. For now, that is up to you to decide. Okay, let's get some squid bits going. Some interesting facts here for you. In the original conception of this episode, the soldier Tom and Christine encounter on the bus was featured much more heavily in the story. But after the episode was produced, Lindelof realised they made a huge storytelling mistake focusing too much on a one-off character at this point in the series. They halted production, rewrote the entire script and had to bring in a second director to finish the episode as the original director was already on another job. So that's why at the start, in the credits, you'll see two directors' names instead of just the normal one. I've done a bit of research on what the title means, and there's a theory that BJ and the AC are initials for Baby Jesus and the Antichrist. And there's kind of these uh, suggestions that maybe that Christine's baby is referred to as the Antichrist because of Holy Wayne. But, geez, that seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? I, I can't honestly say that I picked up on that in the first time I viewed the series, and I didn't pick up on it this time, and I'd actually completely forgotten that as a theory. So to go back and see that is like, oh, okay. There are sort of some suggestions, but, you know, once again, an unborn baby being called the Antichrist seems... Uh, whew, seems a bit nasty. But I guess it's maybe referring to what uh, crazy pantless wang man is carrying on about right in the book the guilty remnants creed is that the post-rapture world demands a new way of living no more marriage or families or consumerism no more mindless entertainment etc etc those days were done and now humanity should just hunker down and await the inevitable oh good times right In the book, Kevin is the mayor, so he makes it a point to avoid confrontation with the guilty remnant, whereas in the show, he aggressively arrests them. It's not one of Kevin's more attractive traits, is it? He can be quite masculine in that regard. Don't get me wrong, I I fucking love Kevin, but it is not necessarily a um, a trait that... uh, (laughs) that I share. Tom and Christine never go to Texas in the book, but hide out in San Francisco. The intimation that Christine's baby is the Antichrist is an invention of the show. Once again, I don't really kind of see it at this point. There is a soldier in the book, uh, the one that was meant to have a bigger role in this episode, 
in the book, he says he comes from a community who believed that the departure was the end times and he enlisted to fight the armies foretold in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is leading. The barefoot people and their bullseyes are in the book. The moment where Laurie and Meg visit Kevin is almost the same as the book in essence, I guess. But look, to be honest, there's so many small differences that to name them here, you'd just be a little bit overwhelmed. But if you're thinking that you're going to read the book, you'll find that part really interesting. Uh, If you haven't read the book yet and you're thinking about it, maybe wait until the end of the first season. I guess you could wait until you finish or seasons two and three, but because seasons two and three go on their own journey that uh, surpassed the book, I guess the uh, you, you could just read it after the first season. But you know, just see how you're going. Maybe read it, you know, when everything's done. Uh, Tom is Kevin's biological son in the novel, and the guilty remnant breaking into the homes, and Laurie trying to retrieve the lighter are all inventions of the TV series and. Really good ideas. I I love them a lot. Okay, that brings us to the end of our latest podcast. Thanks once again for joining in. I don't know how many of you are re-watching the show or checking it out for the first time, but if you feel like chatting about it, there's a bunch of good people over at our Big Squid with Justin Hamilton Facebook page. Anyone can join. It says private conversation, but as I've said before, it's only private, so you can go in there and talk without the fear of spoilers. I keep the normal Facebook page as a place that just kind of lets you know that there's a new podcast up or a new blog or a new short story that you can find over at my site. So, But if you'd like to come and have a chat about it, please do so. It's always fun to have new people coming in and uh, discussing what we're doing here. Uh, Things are about to get pretty busy this end with one new writing job starting next week. I'll tell you more about that later. You'll probably find it pretty amusing, especially if you followed me for a while. You know what? We'll wait. We'll next week. I'll 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 tell you what it is. (laughs) Be a little bit of gossip for us, just between you and me. Okay, it'll be fun. Anyway. Uh, If you know anyone who either would enjoy the podcast in general or might be curious about The Leftovers, please feel free to encourage them to swing by and join in on the fun. I'm loving producing the bigger episodes and the smaller ones like this, so maybe when we're done with The Leftovers, we'll, we'll continue this. I don't know. Let me know what you think. Okay, let's finish with a quote from Justin Theroux. Whenever I've done anything where I feel like, oh, it would be smart to do that, it's always been a mistake. Whenever I do the, ah, it would be fun to do that, it's always paid dividends. Until then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.